Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Blockhead. I'm back at home in my closet studio recording again after a week away and doing some interviewing outside of my usual habitat, uh, and it worked out okay. Uh, today's interview with Tahid Bondia is an example of recording on the road, and it turned out to be really uh, a lot of fun, and it turned out really well. Not that I was actually in Kentucky with Tahid. No, I wasn't. I was in Long Island. In an entirely different environment, but um, with some uh, modifications, uh, I got got myself not as professional a studio as my uh, my closet with the fabric hanging on the wall, thanks and on the floor, thanks to uh, my my partner in crime, my wife Deb. But uh, I got by, I got by okay, and it turned out okay, and there's not too much hiss on it or anything, so I think it, I think it sounds okay. It passes the sound, the sound, my very discerning sound monitor or sensibility or whatever it is so so tahid bondia today on uh blockhead that's that's the name of my podcast blockhead so i think you're going to enjoy this tahid is a it's just he's a rising star he if he's not a star already uh tahid is the great cartoonist behind crabgrass which is a big monster instagram hit and i think it's just going to get more and more notice and more and more popular as time goes on because it's a wonderful wonderful comic strip and uh, if you haven't followed crabgrass you can follow it on instagram follow it on gocomics.com look for it there that's probably the most important place because that's how tahid uh, makes some some income uh from his work is from your visits and subscriptions at uh GoComics.com, so be sure to look for Crabgrass there. If you're not familiar with Crabgrass, it is a comic strip that is at its heart about friendship. Friendship of two young boys growing up in the 1980s in a small community that could be anywhere, but uh, maybe Kentucky, where Tahid grew up. But uh, uh, it's only autobiography in so much as any work of fiction is autobiography, and so it doesn't really dwell on that. It could be any place, and it feels like it could be any time. And I think that there's a lot of universal uh, connections uh, in crabgrass that make it as popular as it is. And uh, I think it'll touch you and make you laugh as well. That's not the only thing that Tahid's created, though. Tahid's got two dynamite strips on GoComics.com. A Problem Like Jamal was his first strip. And this is a strip about a young African-American boy growing up with a single mom and an older brother and dealing with all kinds of issues, uh, political issues and otherwise family issues, uh, school issues, all those kinds of things. But in particular, the heart of it is dealing with racism and the issues that we all face every day in grappling with the issue of racism, but in particular from the point of view of Jamal. And it's a, it's a intense and vibrant and powerful comic strip and it is also very funny and Jamal's a great character and I think it is just uh, it's dynamite so Tahid has created two 
fantastic comic strips, uh, both of which are available on GoComics.com, and I urge you to go check them out. And this interview, if nothing else, should convince you to do that. So please, go check out Tahid's work on GoComics.com. That's Crabgrass and A Problem Like Jamal. And subscribe to them both. Some sad news in the world of comics that I, I can't let pass without commenting on, and that is the passing of Tom Spurgeon, the uh, editor-in-chief at the uh, website The Comics Reporter, a uh, news site that I think anybody, everybody in comics is has considered a touchstone for keeping abreast of all of the news going on in comics and for for connecting to the large family that is comics. I think it, that's at the heart of what Tom did at the Comics Reporter. He, he established a venue that was more than just a news site. It, it was a place in which all of us who love comics and labor within comics and care about it as an art form we all connected there at the Comics Reporter with Tom, and under Tom's very caring stewardship, there there's a sense of generosity that and and inclusiveness. I think at the Comics Reporter that was uh, unlike any other site that I know of. And and uh, Tom, I did not know well, and he didn't know me well, but he was always incredibly supportive of any work I was doing and anything that I sent his way. I knew he was going to consider as seriously as he considered anything else that was out there. There was a, a sense that, that, you know, Tom was, as I said, inclusive and egalitarian, and he just cared about the art form and the art form above all else. And anybody who was contributing to the art form in one way or another was part of the family. And that's the feeling you got from Tom and from the comics reporter. And uh, forgive me, but when I talk about it, I, I don't know why. I, you know, somebody is, who was not part of my everyday life, but in some sense, he was. And uh, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss the comics reporter. I'm going to miss his commentary on the world of comics and his, his thoughtfulness and his generosity. And uh, there are few like him. And it is unlike anyone will fill that void anytime soon. So uh, we in the comics community pay tribute to you, Tom Spurgeon. We will miss you. I know I do. So uh, on that sad note, we will uh, pay tribute to Tom by continuing uh, discussing and, and investigating and uh, caring about comics and and moving the discussion forward and sharing our passion with the world. That's, that's how I think we best pay tribute to Tom Spurgeon is by sharing this passion and, and keeping it alive, and keeping the discussion going, and uh, keep making comics. I think that's, that's the way I'll think about Tom. I hope you will too. So... Let's do that. Let's move forward then. And uh, let's let's enter into this discussion between myself and Tahid Bondia. I think you're going to enjoy it. And if you care about comics, you certainly will. So here he is, Tahid and myself uh, in discussion. Hello, Tahid. Welcome to Blockhead. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm th I'm thrilled to have you on the show, man, because I just I have been devouring your work, Crabgrass and A Problem Like Jamal, and uh, both of which are on Go Comics. Amazing to have two 
very strong pieces of work out at, at the same time. It's just, wow. you know, it's, <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's, it's really exciting. It's Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I've had a blast making them. So it's, it's really great to hear. I love when people uh, appreciate my work. And I hope Thanks. more and more people will go to go comics and look for both strips, crabgrass and a problem like Jamal. Cause both of them are really uh, just, if you love comic strips, you got to go strips. These are great. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe we should start talking about crabgrass because that's what you're working on at the moment. Right, I know sure. you're yeah. sort of on hiatus for a moment, but let's mm-hmm. talk about crabgrass and where it came from. Crabgrass is about two friends who are, what, I guess, tweens, right, is the word these days? 12, uh, 11, uh, 13, somewhere in there? Yeah, they, I try to remain a little bit ambiguous about the age, but uh, if you pin me down, I say they're about eight or nine. Eight so, or nine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're uh, Kevin and Miles are very loosely and uh, very loosely based on myself and my best friend, a next door neighbor uh, that I had as a kid. And uh, we were actually a little bit older than they are in the strip, but I wanted to base it in the, you know, in the about the late 80s. So I made them a little bit younger. But apart from how the characters look, the the connection to me and my best friend as a kid like i said it's, it's very loose sometimes i'm kevin sometimes i'm miles <laughs> and they're also a combination of other people you know that i knew growing up or people that i know now mm-hmm. so, but the whole concept came about just from me wanting to after having done a problem like jamal which was you know it's kind of had te- teeth to it very politically charged i wanted to do something a little bit softer a little bit more widely relatable and so I thought, well, I'm, I'm just going to fashion a comic strip that I think has the widest possible appeal. You right. Know? And um, I ended up doing something autobiographical <laughs> without really realizing it until I was a couple of weeks in. I'm like, holy crap, this is me and my friend when I was a kid. <laughs> um, so that's just kind of how, how it came about. I, I grew up on Greenway Drive. I named the street Crabgrass uh, Drive. It's just a, there's a there's a more than a few parallels, but that's so, kind of where it all came from. Where so you grew up in the '80s? Where where did you grow up? You you mentioned the street, but whereabouts? Yeah. My mom was in the military, so I grew up a, a a few different places. The neighborhood that I'm thinking of uh, when I uh, draw the comic strip is uh, in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Oh, okay. Uh, that's I, where you are now. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's right, uh, right by here, uh, one town over. I was there from about fourth grade all the way through to college. Okay. It's funny, you know, in the, in the first strip, the way Kevin and, and Miles meet is pretty much straight out of my own personal history. <laughs> uh, my mom sent me outside because she was she was moving stuff into the house and. Uh, I was getting in the way, and she pointed at some kids across the street and said, "Go play with them. Those kids you've never met. Go play with them." Oh man! <laughs> and uh, so yeah, so I went over there, and was, my mom says I have to come play with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And then we were best friends by the end of the day. And um, oh man, we just like, I, and I mean, with the declaration and everything, you know how kids do. You oh know? sure. 
Yeah, yeah I had the same kind of experience actually. We, when I was ten years old, and and it's actually um, forty nine years ago that I moved. <laughs> in, my parents moved into this neighborhood, and um, basically it was I was hanging around. I, we moved in. I didn't have anything to do. I was getting underfoot. And my father said to me, "Well, you know, there's a young man who lives down the road there, your age. He's in. <laughs> he's going to be in your class. Why don't you go knock on the door?" Yeah. So that's what I did. I went and knocked at the door. Of course, he wasn't home. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it wasn't until later, but it was the same kind of thing. You know, you're mm-hmm. the new kid on the block and, and uh, you know, you got to find your way. And uh, mm-hmm. it can be kind of a little little off-putting at first anyway, you know, awkward yeah, yeah. in a way. You know? I mean, I, I, can, I can remember that, that as clear as day, that, that sort of awkward feeling. But, boy, I miss the ease of it. Yeah, I haven't haven't made a new friend in something like 15 years now. There's no way you could get me to go knock on somebody's door and say, (laughs) hey, would you be my friend? It worked when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah, it does, but it's hard. Now people might look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, when you when you get older, it's just it's harder. Also, you know, being a cartoonist is kind Mm -hmm. of an isolating occupation in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're you're alone with the drawing board a lot. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, it's except for online and in occasions like this, it's hard to meet people. Sure. Yeah. No, I've, I've worked as, um, I've worked from home for a number of years now, um, predominantly as a graphic designer. Right. And I've always done the, the cartooning thing sort of as a, as, as a hobby on the side, but yeah, it's, it's the same thing. You know, you, uh, you take away the office environment, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. then you, you add in the, the, uh, just the sort of reclusiveness of being a cartoonist and it, it gets hard to meet people. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. It is. It is what it, it is, you know. It is what it is. We sign up for for that, I guess. And Pretty that's much, yeah. part of life. We're living in our heads and, uh, uh, you know, it all comes out on the page. Hopefully we make friends and communicate, you know, yeah. as we need to through our work. So, so Elizabethtown was where, is where your roots are, right? Mm-hmm. And are you still friends with, with your buddy from those days? Um, I, I, you know, people grow apart. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things. The chances of you staying friends with somebody you met when you were, you know, 10 uh, yeah. are astronomical. Uh, we, we grew into two very different adults. Uh-huh. Um, I could probably pick up the phone and call him right now. Sure. Uh, but it's, I, we're not blood brothers forever still, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but, some uh, of those yeah. experiences are just uh, tied to time as well as, as and context as well as anything sure. else. Yeah, you know when you're kids, you're thrown together sometimes, and you're just thrown together. It's how it is. There's no mutual, you know, shared interest necessarily. Uh, it's just Absolutely. it's just you know circumstance that brings you together. And uh, yeah, sometimes those bonds are no stronger than that. Uh, but nevertheless, so at some point or another, while you're growing up in Elizabethtown, mm-hmm. you must have been drawing. Yeah, yeah, drawing definitely predates Elizabethtown. I think for a long time I wanted to be a uh, a comic book artist, you know. Yeah. When I first started seriously, uh, quote unquote, seriously thinking about a career in art, like so many young children, my brain jumps immediately to comic books. Or like <clears throat> your relative suggests, you should go work for Disney. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so I, I think for a long time I wanted to be a comic book artist. In fact, I remember the first time I drew something and got like a, a positive response to it was um, I don't even know how old I was. Must have been very young because uh, my mom was stationed in Germany. And oh, wow. I think I was in like kindergarten or first grade, maybe um, oh. I was uh, 
sitting on my bed and on a legal pad, I drew a picture of Spider-Man from my bed sheets and showed that to my mom. And she seemed legitimately impressed. <laughs> and then it was, you know, that was it from then on. Did your well, mother draw I, or anything like that? Or was it just you just picked up the pencil? No, I just picked up a pencil. Well, <clears throat> but there, it, it, had, it wasn't my family. My mom didn't do it. Actually, um, my mom kind of gave me the encouragement that I needed to keep doing it. Okay. But it was my cousin, Jermaine, that made me want to get better. Okay. Uh, he was a few years older than me. He's the one. I have a couple of cousins that lived in, in uh, Long Island who I used to go visit. And Jermaine was a phenomenal artist, and I just wanted to be like him. You know, yeah, he was yeah. he was he was older, he was cooler, and he had friends, and he was more talented, and all of this stuff. And um, I remember we would sit in the living room mm -hmm. uh, with you know a notebook paper, and we would draw the pictures off of transformer boxes. All right. We would we would draw the same transformer and then compare them. You know, his was always worlds better than mine. You know, but it was like that practice, that sort of ritual of us doing that over and over again that really got me uh, to realize that I could get better at this. And I did get better. Yeah. The shame is, <laughs> doesn't draw, draw anymore, I don't think, huh. but which is a real shame. I hate to think about, you know, where he could be with it right now. Oh, yeah. It's a shame when somebody just who has a, a talent for it just sort of. But that did, does happen. You know, as people mm -hmm. get older, they get distracted. And yeah. or they have kids to raise or they've got jobs to go to that take up their time. And it's a shame but that happens to a lot of folks and a lot of folks who, you know, who start out to make a career in it, too. But uh, yeah, but then you've again, you really got to be lucky to find the support that you need to yeah. keep at it. Yes, absolutely. You, know? you do. You, you've got to have a support system. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, in your case, it was your mom. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. She encouraged you. She bought you the stuff to get you going, the paper, the pencils, the markers or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. She indulged me there. Um, and I never really needed a whole lot of supplies. You know, um, I, I don't dabble in, in a, a myriad of, of uh, mediums. I, in fact, I didn't start inking my drawings, I think, until I was a teenager. You know, for me, it was really a lot about um, I just it was a trick that I could do, you know. It was it was it was stuff that I that I could do to impress people and make them think I was cool. So I ended up doing it in class and things like that, places where I shouldn't. But but uh, that's what kind of kept me going at it through through uh, finally deciding that, OK, maybe I could have a career in this. Well, that's it. You know, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because and I think that's a similar experience to a lot of us, uh, kid, particularly cartoonists. When I was a kid, same thing, you know, you'd be sitting in class and I was a little I'm a little guy and I was always <laughs> a little guy. And so, you know, around other kids, it was easy to pick on me because I was small, you know, and yeah. you know, there were two ways I could get along with other guys or, or get them to leave me alone a little bit and accept me. And along those ways was was one was just being funny, which was mm -hmm. you know, one of the things we learned to do. And then the other <laughs> thing was drawing because people, would all, you know, they found out I could draw and they said, oh, draw me, you know, draw me Charlie Brown, draw me Spider-Man, yeah, draw yeah. me something. Oh, absolutely. Like you know, and that's how you get you, 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 you insinuate yourself into the group and you make yourself, you know, part of them through a, a lot of times when you're kids through your ability to draw because it is like a magic trick. You know, the, the uh, um. I probably overestimated the draw. I mean, I thought that 
it would get me dates and things. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I think would, we all think that at some point. <laughs> yeah, I thought I would draw a pretty girl and then she'd want to date me or something, but uh, it, it never quite worked out that way. But, yeah, it, yeah. but it, it maintained <laughs> my enthusiasm, so. Yeah, well, it's yeah, you find other rationales for keeping it going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, but uh, so what did you like to when you were you were a kid? You said you were, you wanted to be a comic book artist, and were you drawing then superheroes all the time? Was that your motivation? Uh, yeah, and and I'm, I was never one who was encyclopedic about collecting or reading comics or anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. I just really liked the pictures. Yeah. Uh, so. I might follow a specific artist because I like their style, but I don't know everything about the artist. I just know what book to buy so that I can look at their pictures. The whole inspirational thing about it made me want to create my own characters mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not an original story. Me and, and a friend of mine who wants to write comics decide we're going to start our own indie comic book company. And we take a uh, printer paper and staple it down the middle and and try to make comic books out of it and mm-hmm. we just spend hours and hours eating snacks and talking about our superheroes and developing characters and drawing pinup artwork but never really finishing anything and uh but you know i did that for years and years as once again just kind of maintaining my enthusiasm for art right and and so this just kept on through you know all the years in elizabethtown through high school mm-hmm. and all of that and then uh, you just kept going. I mean, from what I understand, uh, you, as you, I think you told me, is that you've only got, you didn't really go to college. You've got one year of, of college. Yeah, yeah. And so all of this is like self-taught, which is amazing because the skills on display in mm-hmm. both Jamal and Crabgrass, both in terms of, you know, just the, the draftsmanship and then also yeah. in terms of uh, your handling of color and handling of the Photoshop and, and hmm. digital tools whatever those are just really excellent and it really well, you know you. yeah usually people have i mean i had to go to art school man I, I, <laughs> but you've you've got that like just natural ability it's just fabulous well i'm uh i've, I've never uh felt that my my color choices were particularly strong in fact one, it's one of the reasons that i gravitated towards comic strips because i foolishly thought they would be easier Uh, (laughs) i couldn't finish a comic book and i thought well i can finish four panels and and anybody can do that and uh of course there's that curve you know in the beginning you think you know everything and it's really easy and then the more you learn the harder it gets and uh and of course my first comic strips were total garbage (laughs) but um now i I like having the uh the limitations that the format puts on you you know Mm-hmm. Um, when you're working long form, that's a, that's a, uh, a, a little bit too much freedom for me. And I think that mm-hmm. that inhibits my ability to finish anything, but, uh, a comic strip, you know, you get to the end of a comic strip four panels yeah. and you've completed a work. Yeah. You, yeah. you don't get that feeling from a comic book per page. Yeah. You know? I you relate to the end of that book. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. so having that, having that feeling of successfully completing a work, constantly you know at your back yeah is is a great motivator it gives you momentum to keep going yeah it's impetus for the next one right yeah 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. You you think that once you finished one, some people would think, oh, I finished one. Now that's enough. And you know, <laughs> but not with with doing this. It's it's. I don't want to say it's like a narcotic, but you know, there's a, there's an addictive quality to it. You finished one, and that is impetus to go on to the next one. It inspires you to go on to the next one. Absolutely. Yeah, because it, it's great. You know, it's a great feeling. You know, to yeah. Go that. Yeah. It really is, and you kind of you. It, it always it never feels like you've done as much as you have for me anyways. You know, I always look back and I've done 14 strips and I feel like I might've done five. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's a really weird, but I, I do enjoy that. I love creating a body of work in that way. I think that that's one people who, that, you know, there is a distinction there between, you know, the comic book artist, the long form cartoonist and the the short form cartoonist and i think you know one of the aspects about short form cartooning is exactly what you're talking about where you get you get hooked on this way of and i've talked about it before and on the podcast but you get hooked on this way of um of making and thinking and writing and constructing and it's got its own like you said it's the word momentum is really appropriate there and it it really is a distinct feeling and and maybe it's a particular mentality that's attracted to that idea Mm -hmm. uh of of realizing a project and going on to the next one and going on to the next one Uh, because i think it is you know one of the things that in discussions with other folks that, that I've found is that the comic book mind and the long form mind doesn't always adapt well right. to the comic strip. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true. I've seen a few comic strips by, uh, by comic book artists and we're kissing cousins artistically, mm-hmm. but the, the way that the pacing of the strip and things like that, you know, uh, yeah. it, it, there's, there's often something missing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. so getting back to the also the the color, it's interesting that you say you mm-hmm. you have some some insecurity about the color. I love the color on on both works, in particular on Jamal. I think the colors yeah. are just, you know, they they work together really beautifully, and it's one of the things that really I find attractive about the work visually, is your your sense of color, mm-hmm. which you know I think it, it really resonates. It's really rich, and and that's visually. I think if people haven't seen the strips. You know, they're both, while different um, mm-hmm. in the, in their way, uh, they're very rich in terms of all of the visuals, you know, but the color is, is really, I think, quite splendid. You know, it's quite beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah cool. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to flex a different muscle uh, for the lines and the shapes in, in crabgrass, but I'm, I'm flexing the exact same muscle when it comes to the colors. And yeah. It's, it's interesting that you 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 comment on my color sense. I don't know that I have one. I mm-hmm. have a uh, I have an eye. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, maybe somewhat underdeveloped. I don't know. I have an eye. I, I can recognize when colors look good, but mm-hmm. I don't know how to make that happen. My coloring process oftentimes is just throwing things at the wall yeah. and, and seeing what sticks, and just having the you know discipline to just nope that doesn't look good and just keep going and keep going keep going until I I, I get something that pleases my eye, right. and then but I don't have an instinct for this color would look good here necessarily. So this is all in Photoshop, right? Or is it in, uh... um, I know I, um, uh, I work in clip studio oh, yeah, okay. mm-hmm. on, on the iPad pro. Right. Um, but yeah, the majority of my comics career happened in Photoshop. I just recently got the iPad pro and it was a game changer. And if I could never go back, I would, but there are certain things that you have to do in Photoshop. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's basically the same process. Clip Studio. If you if you know how to use Photoshop, yeah. then Clip Studio is just like a, a little bit pared down version of that. But a lot of it is intuitively intuitively the same. Well, you know, uh, um, I don't want to get <laughs> too wonkish here for the for the audience, but um, but again, this is between cartoonists. So I'm working in Procreate on the iPad, and, and the same thing happened to me. Now I'm, I think I'm a good, you know, I'm more than a few years older than you. So I was working old school on paper for, for a long, long time, and I swear to God, I would never switch over. And this is like after, you know, I mean, how old am I? You know, I'm I'm almost sixty years old, and so uh, so when I switched over it was two years ago my wife mm -hmm. i was gonna buy a new scanner and my wife said why are you even bothering with that because i was not happy with the scans i was getting and she said right. why why don't you just try this and so you know it had procreate on it in the shop in the best uh -huh. part and i tried it. i was like holy crap the pen is great yeah. and, and this app is great and so i started working on that and man i've not ever looked back because it's just it's so responsive and it's so beautiful and there's so much you can do with it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that is so rich. But then you've got to, yeah, eventually finalize it in Photoshop one way or the other. Right. Yeah. I have, I had, um, I always tried to have the newest toy, you know, <laughs> um, I worked for, I worked on, on, um, pencil and paper when I was a kid. Like right, I said, my first drawing was with a pen on a legal pad and yeah. that was all I needed for the longest time. But then I discovered art supplies and then it became, uh, I couldn't draw unless I had this special pencil and this special Bristol board and I didn't have a job and these things were expensive. <laughs> and, yeah. But I, I just really got uh, uh, addicted to using the very best tools. And, and I think probably around 2004, I got my first um, Wacom um, or Wacom mm. or however you say it, the, the um, drawing tablet. Yeah. I, I never know how to say it either, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I anyone say, does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that that was a game changer. That uh, being able to actually, of course, the the um, the technology was still very young. Yeah. So uh, I could always produce better work by hand, but the technology caught up eventually, mm -hmm. and um, I went from there to uh, the last thing I worked on before the iPad was the. Um, Cintiq Companion. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And that was, you know, that was supposed to be the dream machine. Right. You know, that was, I'm finally untethered and I could go and, I don't know, sit on a hammock and draw yeah. or something, whatever I imagined myself doing that I would never do. But uh, <laughs> I would have to go sit poolside or something and draw. But, yeah. um, of course, the thing weighed 100 pounds. And, yeah, uh, heavy, right? The battery lasted about 30 minutes. Oh, and it, it, so I was never truly untethered, but it was a much more powerful drawing tool yeah. and you could get Photoshop on there and everything. And that worked for a long time. I didn't realize that I had become so acclimated to drawing with a stylus in this fashion that, um, until I, I finally did get the iPad ran that stylus across the iPad and it was so responsive. I didn't realize how much I had been compensating for how unresponsive, you know, the, yeah. uh, the bigger, bulkier Cintiqs and stuff were, and, and that, you know, Photoshop is such a resource hog. You yeah. Know? yeah, um, yeah. I, I've just been compensating for how much slower that line was going down or the lag behind it and things like that. And I didn't notice it. And then I, I, I picked up the stylus and drew on the iPad and it was like, whoa, wow. Yes. Yeah, like lit up that part of my brain that was used to pencil and paper. Yeah. Yeah. And Everybody so, I've talked to, and um, as I, I've said before, I, I'm a 
teacher in an art department. And so mm-hmm. I run into students. Uh, I ran into one of our, our students who went on to do some great stuff. And the other day, and or, well, actually it was a year or so ago now. And both of us, like, it was great to see him. But the first thing we started talking about was iPads. And <laughs> once, you know, once, once you start talking, you know, everybody was like, the iPad, man, oh, my God. It just yeah. changed everything. Yeah. And it is so easy. And it's so – because you don't have to make – you don't have to don't have to go through that intermediary step, you know, yeah. that step between the original and then the digital. And, mm-hmm. you know, because you lose quality every step of the, every translation along the sure. way. Yeah. And, uh, and I couldn't stay, I, you know, I was just, I couldn't stand the lines that were, I was losing. And, um, mm-hmm. anyway, just f- finding this was amazing. And I, I, I haven't gone to, what is it? Clip paint studio. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Clip, clip studio and, paint. Yeah, it's another one you got to pay for. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went to pro. Got, yeah. That, there, there are two camps. Your yep. camp is larger, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the, the, this one is just so laser focused on creating comics it's got so many amazing tools oh really? you know like there's a crosshatch tool that i use oh no on on uh yeah yeah i've seen it in the background on yeah yeah yes. yeah those are not handmade oh my god really yeah, there's there's an amazing crosshatch tool that you can use now once you recognize it it looks artificial okay you know so it's it's never going to be as good as actually you know, cross hatching by hand, right. but it's there if, if you've got a simple purpose for the cross hatches or whatever. But, um, there's, yeah, there's just so many f- fantastic tools that are geared specifically towards, uh, you know, uh, drawing comics. All right. Um, you, you, you're and talking, plus you can, you can letter in, in, in the program too. Yeah, you can let them procreate too. You can. Oh, can you? They, they introduced that, and I think uh, one of my friends is uh, working on. He's he's trying out the new 5.0 Procreate. I think you can animate through it. Although I use it to do animation. Oh wow! But yeah, you you, you can do uh, animation. Oh. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so there's new stuff, and it only costs. You know, Procreate's like ten bucks. So, yeah. You know, it's yeah, like, I got them both. Yeah. But, okay. Oh, so you I, got it. yeah. Okay. That was a big deal breaker for me that you couldn't letter because I do like the pencils and things. Um, yeah, yeah. I like the, the pencils, brushes better. Yeah, the procreate. brushes in Procreate. That's what did it for me. The brushes mm-hmm. you can modify them in Procreate. This is all very professional cartoonist stuff. So, so I hope the audience <laughs> is like still with us, you know. But I mean, it's the stuff that you and I find fascinating, right? We're yeah, like yeah, yeah. talking this stuff all day. But oh, for you know, days, the, yeah. The, yeah, right. The brushes mm-hmm. are great in Procreate, and so mm-hmm. you know you can modify them just to a certain degree, and mm-hmm. you can now um, you can do. Uh, lettering and I think that's been in there for about a year and that was a big game changer because I was doing all my lettering previously when it was hand done it was hand done but in in Photoshop I was you know taking it to Photoshop to do lettering and now I can I could I imported my own font into Mm -hmm. uh, into Procreate and there you go you know so it's it's nice so you made it you made a font I uh, did make a font, font with some, yeah, some cheap little program, and you know, it's <laughs> it's okay. It, it's close enough to mine. I I probably used the same program. Oh yeah, <laughs> I did. I, I I did some online program, and I I you know created a font out of out of handwriting. Yep. And uh, I I uh, fed it into the website, and they spit out this font, and it's it's yep. got you know some kerning issues. Yeah. Uh, and actually, um, last night I actually downloaded a proper you know, font creator, oh, um, to, really? to my, yeah, to my computer. And I sat up all night long getting the kerning perfect and creating oh, this man. beautiful open type, uh, font mm-hmm. that I was going to, you know, start using in the comic. And oh, then wow. I 
I installed it on my iPad and it just ignored all the kerning. So it's like I spent all that time and I don't know if it's an iPad thing or if it's a if it's a um Clip Studios thing. So I might try it in Procreate and see if it's any better. And that might actually have me shifting camps if that's the case, because I've yeah. put a lot of work into that. Yeah. Well, you know, you can change. I mean, it. I, I don't know about Clip Studio, but in Procreate, you can change the kerning. You can change yeah. the letting, you know, all that sure. kind of stuff. Um, you can play with those tools. But, it, yeah. yeah, if you've got it worked out already the way you like it, that's kind of sucks that you lost that. But Yeah. 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 But now yeah, you, you, I mean, you can do all that stuff in, in clip studios but um yeah. i went through and i set up ligatures to where you know certain letters to sit beside each other mm-hmm. are closer than when they sit beside other letters and things like yeah. that yeah and uh i had all that worked out and, oh, and i just ignored it but oh, um i'm sorry <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean i've got it now if i ever wanted if i ever find something i can use it on <laughs> <laughs> talking about typography and all of that yeah. And and uh, so you have you are a serious graphic designer along with being a cartoonist. That's in part one way in which you're making a living, correct? If mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. mistaken. So again, those skills, those are all you you pick those all up from just observing stuff, you know, looking at graphic design and and figuring it out, and putting it together. Is that is that the case or? Uh, pretty much. I mean, I never I had like a, like I told you one year. Yeah. Of, of art school at uh, Murray State University. Mm-hmm. And but like I first got into graphic design years and years ago with a company called Action Custom Apparel, this little local um, custom apparel company. Uh, right. Uh, schools would come and get T-shirts made for clubs and things like that. Actually, my then mother-in-law, mm-hmm. she was a teacher and she went in there to get some names sewn on her shirt Asked them if they had an opening for an artist, and oh. it just turned out that they had. Wow! So I went in for an interview, and the owner sat down in front of me and said, "Okay, part of the interview is that you can draw me." So I had to draw this guy. Oh my god! <laughs> Spot sitting, right? Yeah, sitting right in front of him. And little did I know that that was a a prerequisite for getting the job because I was going to be doing a lot of work on his personal website as well. Oh, wow. But, um, cause yeah, he did, he, he did clowning on the side. Clowning. <laughs> yeah. He was, so I was going to clown. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Performative and, and, uh, stand up comedy and clowning. It's, uh, so I would end up doing a lot of drawing this guy, but that was my first exposure to actually drawing on a computer. Uh, we used a program called called Corel Draw, and we're just not going to go down that rabbit hole. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my introduction to, to to digital art. And since it was a local company and not like a, a a large firm or anything like that, I could make a lot of those rookie mistakes, and it looked good to the teachers and nurses that came in, you know. And uh, uh, I just kind of learned to develop an eye for graphic design over time. That's amazing. Because it is it is such a there are so many elements to graphic design that, you know, to the layman, we don't we just don't talk about very often or or even notice. So many people go by, you know, graphic design that is, you know, beautifully or terribly done every day, you know, (laughs) have no idea, you know, what's what goes into making a decent piece of promotional material. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was I was with my wife the other day. Um, We were walking uh, in Louisville. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're walking down the strip and you s- there's all these s- s- small businesses packed into mm-hmm. this, you know, really dense area. And so every few feet, there's a sign on a door, you know, mm-hmm. and 
it's surprising how many of these businesses that have invested so much money, you know, in their brand and their identity are just like a font. Uh-huh. That's just like in Windows. You know? Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. And that's, that's think- their logo. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, wow, you know, I mean, you could pay somebody to whip you up something just so much better for, you know. Are you are you doing a lot of that still or is that uh, is, is, you know, that where you're you're making most of your living right now or. Right. Yeah, that- no, that's yeah, that's still where I get the majority of my my living from. Um, in fact, uh, after I worked at Action Custom Apparel, that company got bought by another company that didn't need an art uh, department. So I immediately called the other company in town that did custom apparel. They were a little bit bigger than us called Duke sporting goods. And they also needed an artist. They had a part-time artist who was getting ready to leave. So I worked for them for about six years. Okay. And then I got a job with wet pumpkin, uh, Andrew Hussey. I don't know if you've ever heard of Homestuck. No. Uh, uh yeah, it's, it was a pretty big web comic, uh, a few years oh. ago. Okay. And, um, he started a company called what pumpkin and they needed a graphic designer, and I'd known him for years and years, so my name came up, and I quit Duke's and worked there, and then that company got bought, <laughs> and so now I'm actually working for Duke's again, Okay. Uh, but from home. It's a much uh-huh. better situation. I, I just, okay. They just send me what they need, and I crank it out and send it back to them. Very that cool. Is, yeah. That's supplemented, of course, a little bit by Go Comics Money and... Yeah what i can get from patreon patreon yeah 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 because you're on patreon for crabgrass and uh mm-hmm. and and so you you okay you mentioned webcomics like this i always want to backtrack a little before i get into talking about the other thing so <laughs> we because i want to know a little bit more about your influences before we mm-hmm. get to talking about your career in webcomics because you've been doing webcomics for as you said about 20 years so yeah. Let's talk about, uh, let's go back and talk a little bit about your influences. What you were talking about comic books and, and mm-hmm. decided to get into comic strips. Let's kind of talk about who was it, you know, who are some of the cartoonists who inspired you or comic strips that inspired you or comic books or whichever it was. How did you, you know, start to move towards this medium and decide you want to do it? And what were the things that, insp- what were the comics that inspired you? Who inspired me initially is yeah. not the same as who inspires me now. Okay. You know? Um, initially I'm going to say I didn't take newspaper comic strips very seriously. They weren't necessarily my brand of humor, at least not in the the strips that I got in my local newspaper. Right. In fact, it wasn't until Calvin and Hobbes that I realized that a newspaper strip could be funny. Um, (laughs) I get it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. But, um, back then who actually influenced me was other web cartoonists and what got me into drawing comic strips was uh i was on a forum called uh for the co- webcomic penny arcade oh yeah the uh, the penny arcade artist corner and so it's actually where i made a lot of my friends that i still have and uh we thought that our job there because people who like penny arcade and want to do webcomic would come into the artist corner and say hey here's my new webcomic tell me what you think and we thought it was our job to just tear them to shreds Oh yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, we were the self-appointed gatekeepers. Oh apparently. no. And the, the, I mean, these were a lot of really, really talented artists, you know. Yeah. So I liked running in that circle, and um, we would share art with each other, and and it was a really supportive. If you were in in the group, you know, <laughs> it was a really supportive group. If you were an outsider, 
then it was different. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that that's what really got me into like posting art online, you know. And that was a natural progression to well, I'm going to do a webcomic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've already got basically a fan base here. All of my friends really support me and stuff. And so I made I made my first terrible webcomic. Um, but I was inspired by, you know, uh, Mike Crawlick of Penny Arcade, Scott Kurtz mm-hmm. of PVP, uh, um, Dave and Brad. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. of uh, what's the podcast they do now? Comics um, Lab. Comics yeah, Lab. Comics Lab. Yeah. Um, they I were think actually I mention that every time, every show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris Straub. These guys were like my Mount Rushmore of of comics inspiration in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know. And actually, there's a story about me and Scott Kurtz. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm all ears, man. It's it's a little scandalous. Um, <laughs> I mean, we laugh about it now, but back in the day, okay. Oh gosh, if I can try to remember as many details as I can. So back in the day, um, my first webcomic was called Spells and Whistles, you know, and at this time, still a lot of my um, motivation for doing it was I want to make cool things that make people think I'm cool. I was still <laughs> doing a, a magic trick, you know. Yeah. And so it wasn't about, well, what do I want to draw? What sparks passion in me? It was about what are people going to think is cool? And I thought I'm going to draw a comic strip in the fantasy genre. That's a gag a day strip. You know, mm-hmm. that that's a, a niche that isn't being filled right now. Well, I was wrong. It was by people who are doing it way better. But anyways, uh, I started a comic strip with the snappy name of Spells and Whistles. And mm-hmm. one of the characters in there was my take on a little halfling. Mm-hmm. And she had similar characteristics to an existing character in Scott Kurtz's uh, webcomic PVP. And... At this time, I was nobody, and Scott Kurtz was a god. Also, he was, like, carving out the path. Him and others were carving out the path for how to create a career in webcomics, you know. Mm -hmm. And these were guys who were young, who couldn't believe what they were doing, and couldn't believe that they still got to do it every day. So if they were really protective of things like their intellectual property, you know. Yeah. I mean, when, when you're afraid that it can just all vanish you know, at the drop of a hat, you get really possessive of that kind of stuff, you know? Right, right. So I think I sent him a letter, which was an uh, in, in email, which is what you did back then. You sent someone an email and uh, you said, hey, I really love your work and uh, I'm a big fan. Keep it up. And then in your signature, you put a link to your comic. <laughs> right, right. And that was, that was how you very slyly would put your work in front of other uh, professionals. <laughs> and so I got an email back from him, you know, and this guy was one of my heroes. Uh, and it was basically a cease and desist. It was, Holy <laughs> crap. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, a jerk about it or anything like that. It was just, you know, I could see similarities between this character of yours and this character of mine. Uh, I don't think it's in either of our most interests for, for you to, you know, continue doing that. Uh, he didn't want people to think of his characters when they saw mine. And, uh, but that's not the letter I was looking for, you know, no, of course not. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was looking for, uh, something else. And so I got really defensive, you know? Sure. And Naturally. It, yeah, it, 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 uh, it turned into a little bit of a, uh, a, a drama, you know, 
Um, and I, I immediately took it to the Penny Arcade forums where my friends are, you know, my base camp. Mm-hmm. And they all had my back. And I think Scott popped in there once or twice. Um, eventually, the whole thing blew over, you know. But, yeah, uh, yeah it, it wasn't until years and years later that uh, and we both grew older, you know, that I could say, you know what? I probably was cribbing off your style a little bit, you know. And he now, I'm sure, feels I probably was a little too sensitive about that kind of thing, you know, because I mean, that's what we all do. We all crib off of our heroes until right. we develop our own style and, you know. Well, imitation, right? You know, I mean, yeah. I always say that imitation is the sincerest form. And, you know, I think that's true. It's funny um, that you bring that story up. I was just having a conversation with um, Michael Jancy uh, oh, last nice. time around and mm-hmm. uh, who does The Norm. And Michael and I were talking about Doonesbury when we were, when we were coming up. Oh. Doonesbury was kind of like, I guess, uh, Scott Kurtz was to you and yeah. Gary Trudeau. And it's funny. um, Bloom County came out in the 80s, and when it first came out, I was a snotty-nosed, you know, 20-something, and, and I looked at uh, Bloom County, and I was like, Doonesbury ripoff, not reading it. And, you know, for a couple <laughs> of years, man, I just wouldn't pay attention to it because visually there's a yeah. lot of similarities to, you know, mid-career Doonesbury. Mm-hmm. So uh, now the funny thing is I've got a stack of comics from that period of time that I created i did my own comic strip right back then and and uh you know never went anywhere but i've got the comics and my wife always loved it back then and we pulled it the, the other day we're going through through some things we pull this stuff out and with the two of us look at it and we look at each other and we go holy crap dunesbury it just <laughs> it's like a total dunesbury ripoff and i'm getting pissed off at you know Bert Brothers. For, for doing, you know, just a little bit of Doonesbury inspiration. And, man, I'm sure. ripping him off, right? You know, it's like, and I wasn't even aware of what I was right, doing, right. you know? It happens, it's yeah. Like, it happens, you know? And, and it's like, you know, and that's what happens. The thing is, you know, and, and I've been very uh, lucky in my life to have studied a little bit of art history along the way. And, <laughs> and you know, whenever there's a, an artist of some significance, there sometimes somebody comes along who's got... Like all, all the junk is there, you know, inside this person and in their work. And they inspire like all of these people in different directions in one little bit creates a school of people over here and one little bit creates right. a school of people over there. And it's because somehow or another their work just sums up all of this stuff, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, you find yourself in that stuff and that's what art is about. It's, it's a, I've always thought that we participate not as individuals, but as people who are handing batons off to one another, you know, and that maybe we can let the corporations fight this crap out. But when it comes to, you know, you and me sharing work, well, you know, I'm going to pick up a little from you because man, I'm, I really enjoy and love what I'm seeing here. And boy, I, I'm going to, I want to emulate that, you know, that's what we do. We share, you know, I think that's art uh, for artists anyway, that's what it's about. You know, and so, yeah. you know, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, it's like, uh, what would I do if somebody was outright stealing my comic strip? That's one thing. But if somebody's just like, just borrowing off of a, a character or something, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to take it someplace else. It's just a matter yeah. of, you know, we all <laughs> right. share. That's, yeah, you've got to have, you've got to have the security that comes late in your career. Mm-hmm. You've you got to have the security and knowing that, look, only you can do you. Yeah, you know, regardless right. of the and, and and that's also innate in people to see things that they recognize in something new, you yeah. know, uh, and that and that actually gives me an opportunity to address uh, talking about that and talking about 
artists that inspire me. Uh, currently, obviously, um, uh, Bill Watterson's one of my oh sure biggies, and and uh, mine too. Probably one in fifty people that discover the comic on Instagram. Their first uh, comment is this gives me Bill Watterson vibes that or Calvin Hobbes vibes. I don't know what it is, but that it it is that exact phrasing. I don't know if this has somehow become uh, an Instagram meme or just like a running joke on my page or something, but it's that exact phrasing and it's different people. You know, they'll say this gives me Calvin and Hobbes vibes. And and I, I, I take it as a compliment. I mean, I guess it depends on the spirit. In yeah. which, you know, they, they, they say it, but nine times out of ten, I take it as a compliment. I like the idea that people see my work and it reminds them of something they love, you know? Well, yeah. It, it you d- could do much worse. Well, absolutely. You, you know, and Bill Watterson sort of put it away, you know, uh, yeah. and after putting it away, I think there's this vacuum. And then Richard yeah. Thompson passed away, unfortunately, and I think there's this vacuum in that in that niche for something along the lines of Calvin and Calvin and Hobbes and and um I think where I see it most in your work maybe is in the line quality and this love of uh, uh just I think if Watterson was working digitally and he was working with the same with color and the, the digital platform in, in the way that you are I I think okay maybe he would have followed along a similar path there is a visually there is a love of um dimensionality in your work there's a love of of you know forms that are fully fleshed out and and have a a certain volume to them and there's a love of line in there and and the pant line and all of that i think relates very much to calvin and hobbes Jamal, in particularly, uh, his character reminds me very much of Calvin, although the strip <laughs> is very, very different. But Jamal's got a little bit, well, not a, you know, he's got that attitude, you know, that Calvin has. has. Yeah. But less cra- crabgrass doesn't, you know, for me, crabgrass stakes out a little different territory. But l- go on. Yeah, the, the uh, um, I, I'd probably say character-wise, Jamal is probably closer to uh, a Calvin than either Kevin or Miles from Crabgrass. Um, Jamal has that, uh, body of a child, but he talks like an adult sporadically, you know, but still has the sort of naivete of a, of a child. Um, with, with, with crabgrass, I, I really try to make them as dumb as children really are. Like they're (laughs) (laughs) right. I try to, I try to, I try to keep them age appropriate. And, and in fact, when I first started, the the dialect the dialect mm-hmm. was important to me. I wanted them to talk in that sort of truncated way that children do when they're like, you know, they're always out of breath and or they're always in a hurry, and talking is almost an obstacle between them and having fun. And mm-hmm. uh, so they say, "What do you mean?" And, and it's all one word instead of you know, yeah, um, parsing their their sentences. And and uh, to me, it was really important to uh, uh, have that in the strip as a sort of signature. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, uh, over time, I realized, you know what, you're you're doing comic strips and uh, gags are important and <laughs> they need to be communicated in a certain you know way to, to, to be optimal. And that requires a certain language sometimes. So uh, I, 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 I get it in there when I, when I can, this sort of childlike language, this childlike dialect. But a lot of times I can't have it in there. 
because it it needs to be really clear Mm -hmm. um what's being said for the for the purposes of the gag yeah and and it's interesting when you're writing a comic strip gag Mm -hmm. you know the rhythm and the timing people you know people don't realize that whole old warhorse about you know timing in in comedy it plays out in the comic strip too when i read and write my stuff it's like over and over again, trying to get the right rhythm, you know, the mm-hmm. right rhythm for the words. And the words have to have a certain flow in yeah. order for, and, and like, I'll have the punchline, but I'll rewrite it like three or four times sometimes because the flow is not right. Yeah. And it's not always, it's not always conversational. You no. Know? no. Like, um, I, I, I tend to sometimes think of it in terms of uh, um, stand up comedy. Yeah. You know, and there's a guy standing up there with a microphone and he's talking. So what he's saying is obviously conversational. Not always, you know, timing, timing uh, is is a different thing from the way people talk naturally. There's a lot of disfluency when you're when you're uh, when you're speaking, but uh, you don't have room for that when you're trying to hit those beats and and, and write a good, efficient gag. Yeah, you Uh, don't. It's re- it's really interesting. Back, you know, when we were kids growing up, we used to listen to, and I don't know if kids do this anymore. We used to listen to comedy albums all the time mm-hmm. growing up. And uh, among those comedy albums, of course, you've got I've got to say it for my generation. You know, Bill Cosby was one of those guys we listened to on sure. record all the time. Woody <laughs> Allen was another one of those guys, and in and and George Carlin. And mm-hmm. so we'd listen to those records over and over again. And the one yeah. thing that, particularly in Woody Allen stuff. When you listen to it, Woody Allen would speak in a very clipped manner that mm-hmm. was you th- comes across as natural, but was mm-hmm. not at all natural because right, yeah. if you ever saw him repeat the the story that he told, mm-hmm. it, it was with the same inflections. He memorized yes. the inflections and the beats all the yeah. way through. You know, yeah, fascinating, really. It uh, really is. You know, timing really plays a huge role in the writing of. You know, stand-up comedy as as mm-hmm. well as you know in in uh, comic strips and uh, yeah. so yeah, I, I that's this one of the all stuff I learned about. after I decided I was going to be <laughs> a, a famous comic strip artist. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something you can't know about until you're doing it. Right? <laughs> yeah, you can't know yeah. it until you tried it. You know. Uh, because that's what happens is and and then you become you know you think that over time oh you know i'm going to get better at this and i'm going to be less it's just going to require less and less reworking but the thing is you become more and more of a perfectionist and more attuned to the sound right and you 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 learn more stuff Mm -hmm. new new mistakes (laughs) that you didn't know you were making come up so it's just like the learning curve just gets steeper and steeper but um but yeah yeah it's 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 i love it you know yep yeah, me too. I, well, that's the thing. I'm I'm hooked on that process. I'm hooked mm-hmm. on the on every step of it, and and the writing is a big part of it. And I, and as much as I might uh, get angry at myself or or mm-hmm. just you know decry how often I've got to go back and rewrite something and yeah. whatever, and it it is a lot of work. It's also like I'm hooked on it, you know. Yeah. You know. So yeah. so you were talking about Bill Watterson, and we were talking about. I mean, there's a lot to to mine there in terms of mm-hmm. Calvin and, and stuff. But I do feel like uh, at both, I, I feel like while there is a vibe that runs through your work, mm-hmm. uh, it's there. I feel like both strips really stand distinctly. I mean, these two strips that, that of yours that are on Go Comics, I feel like they're both fully realized mm-hmm. uh, 
comic strips and they are very distinct worlds you know both of them are very distinct from one another and they share things but they're also distinct from one another and they're distinct yeah. as entities from from calvin and hobbes because obviously although jamal reminds us a little bit of calvin there's a lot going on in in jamal that was never picked up on in anything that was sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah and, that, that that um jamal and and part of the reason that i i um uh, put it on hi- hiatus was it's not just because I started Crabgrass. It's it, it, it has a lot to do with why I started the comic in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know? And I know you <clears throat> don't like to get political on the podcast. Well, it's but, okay. Uh, but um, this is a political strip, so there's really no yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Talk about it, it was you know 2016 happened. We were all yeah. there, and uh, after that, um, the world changed for a lot of people. Yes, you know, myself included. It just became. Uh, or it was revealed or whatever, you know? And, um, after that happened, my outlook changed like yeah. on a dime yeah. and I couldn't draw, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. what's, is it, what's the, uh, what's the hierarchy of needs? The, is it Maslow's or what the hierarchy, the psychological uh, term? Uh, uh, not sure. Yeah. yeah. Where you've, you've got to have that, that pyramid. Oh, okay. you've got to have, you know, uh, your, your basic needs, safety, you yeah. know, shelter, at the bottom and then at the top you've got you know creativity and things like that you can't work your way up the pyramid until you take care of the stuff at the bottom and suddenly i did not feel safe yeah i did not feel safe for people that i love people in my family and creativity which is way at the top just went away from me you know Mm -hmm. and i spent a lot of time being frustrated and angry and anxious and just kind of shouting into the void online yeah you know and uh i did not know what to do with all that energy all that shouting was not making it better and i missed drawing but i couldn't i couldn't bring myself to draw you know cool characters or funny happy characters at a time like this yeah and uh it occurred to me well why don't you instead of shouting into the void on facebook why don't you put it in a comic Mm -hmm. and say the things that you need to say yeah and that's where Jamal came from and for the first time like I said for for me my my motivation has been trying to make cool things that people that will cause people to think I'm cool for the first time I was drawing a comic strip that wasn't about that I actually have something to say and I need to get it out yeah man and and you said it I mean you're saying it it's it's a powerful powerful comic well thank you but but I ironically that was also the first comic I ever had that saw a modicum of success. Go <laughs> figure, <Like, laughs> Yeah, go figure. Suddenly I was speaking from my heart and people were listening, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I think it got like, I mean, it was still small potatoes. It got like 5,000 followers on, on Facebook, which I had never seen an audience that big before, ever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I don't think I'd ever broken 1,000. But um that's amazing. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that was really gratifying to me. I think you were but, speaking to a lot of, uh, a, 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 you know, feeling a lot of issues that were percolating, a lot of things that were very timely, a lot of things that people were feeling. You know, a yeah. lot of people feeling. Right, but the problem was that the comic did its job. It uh, <laughs> it helped me get all that stuff out. Yeah. And it 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 sort of, you know, seeing people's reaction to the comic. And the way it was embraced sort of restored my faith in humanity and kind of, you know, cut back on, on some of the anxiety and the fear. Okay, maybe things will get better. We're, we're, uh, 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 
a little bit of the way I once thought the world was still exists. Mm-hmm. And when I calmed down a little bit, Jamal's voice went away. You know? Oh wow. And That's um intense. Yeah, and I thought, okay, I could force this. You know, right. I could sort of exploit this and 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 try to, you know, just follow the headlines and 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 see what I should draw a comic about. And I actually went that direction a little bit and I wasn't happy with it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um it seemed like some like a kind of a betrayal. So I thought, you know what? I'm not this is not paying my bills. You know, <laughs> I don't have to do this. Right. Uh, I'm just going to let it go, you know. Right. But um uh so I that's why to... I ended up shelving that comic. Okay. Yeah. But um, I wasn't I wasn't quite sure, you know, I just thought, "Oh, crabgrass came up and I wasn't quite sure about it, but uh I can right. I can definitely see that because there is a there is a an intensity about Jamal yeah. and the entire show. Even when you're dealing with like things like the the um the which I I thought were, along with you know the issues that you were dealing with um when you you had the human moments you know like between mm-hmm. Jamal's mom and her sister. I love that interchange between <laughs> those two. It's so human and. Mm-hmm. It was so beautifully written, really, because people do go through that and they they have those those conflicts, you know, siblings. Yeah. And <laughs> I just thought, along with the politics, along with the racism, along with all of these issues that you're grappling with, you're also grappling with just human interaction, you know, inner family dynamics and all. And yeah. and I thought it was. But at the same time, there is a, an intensity to it that right. also suggests, yeah. You know, maybe this is the kind of thing that flames up and then burns yeah, out. Yeah, because, exactly. Yeah, you know? it burned hot and then yeah. it, it just burned out. Yeah. And yeah. um, but I mean, Jamal's gift to me was it, it gave me back those human moments. It gave me back my ability to, you know, write a comic about funny kids. And that seems as good a place as any to bring part one of our interview with Tahid Bondia to a close. Next time, we will speak in detail about comics about funny kids. In particular, we'll be talking about Tahid's Instagram sensation, Crabgrass, which I hope you have checked out already or will be checking out at Go Comics. So be sure to look for that. Also, be sure to look for its uh, forerunner, A Problem Like Jamal, which is another terrific strip by Tahid Bondia on Go Comics. Both of them are there, available for you. Check them out today. They will not disappoint. I think you're going to you're going to love them. Well, the tree limbs are bare, all the leaves are on the ground, and uh, the pumpkins we bought for fall decoration are all beginning to rot and sag and collapse in on themselves and make a big mess. Well, they will be a big mess when I try to pick them up and uh, remove them. (laughs) I'm not looking forward to that. But I guess what that means is it's time for a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. And it's tea day. It's turkey day. And uh, I hope that wherever you are, you are going to have a, uh, a, let's say, a trauma-less, a trauma-free Thanksgiving. And uh, lots to eat and chow down on. And lots of the wonderful thing about turkey dinners is that, uh, what is it, um, tryptophan? And uh, you get sleepy, and it's a great sleepiness. It's, 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 you know, it's one of those sleepy feelings that can be really appreciated. You know, you've, you're like dozing in and out of whether you're watching, oh, a movie, or you're watching a football game, or you're watching the dog show. 
that sleepiness is just like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> and that's, that's like the best, you know, that's like the most relaxed moment of the entire year, really, I think, after Thanksgiving dinner. And then later comes the cherry on top of the, <laughs> the Sunday that is the Thanksgiving dinner, the pumpkin pie. Ah, yes, the pumpkin pie. Now, there is some discussion as to which pie. I have, I'm a pumpkin, I'm a true believer in pumpkin. I'm a traditionalist that way. Pumpkin pie, man. That's that's where it's at. Pumpkin pie. Although some people go for the apple. Some people go for the pecan. Uh, there are debates even. Uh, some people, you know, I know it's heresy to say it. It's shocking. But some people even go for mincemeat. Whatever that is. And uh, it's kind of scary, really, if you've ever looked inside a mincemeat pie. But anyway, uh, I'm, I go for the, the traditional... Thanksgiving topper on the cake and uh, pumpkin is my thing so uh, despite the fact that I've got rotted pumpkins hopefully the pie will not suffer the same fate so wherever you are I hope that you will have a wonderful holiday make sure you come back for part two of our discussion with Tahid Bondia and be sure to check me out on Instagram at Grogan Jeff, G-R-O-G-A-N-G-E-O-F-F. I got it right that time. And uh, follow all my stuff there, okay? So be good to your friends. Be good to your neighbors. Be thankful. Reflect upon what's great in your life. And uh, I will do the same. And in keeping with that, I have to say thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.